Gracious God, we join that chorus of praise from your creation. Uh, we thank you for life, for breath. We thank you for new life in you, Lord God. We thank you that your spirit is with us. Um, breath of life, we invite you to come and breathe on us. Make us new, speak your truth, guide us in your ways. Lord, soften our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. We love you, gracious God. Uh, just bless us with your gifts as we meet. Amen. All right. That was good. Thanks. Go ahead and uh, take a seat. Welcome to Open Table Church. We are continuing in our message series called You Asked For It. Uh, you've asked us questions, and we're responding these first Sundays of the month. And uh, the questions that we're going to respond to today have to do with the Bible. And we're also going to do communion today. So if you're at home, uh, grab some communion supplies and uh, download your bulletin. If you need a bulletin, uh, if you need communion supplies here, just raise your hand and we'll pass those out and uh, we'll get into God's word. So just want to encourage you. I know God has something he wants to say to each of us today. And that's my prayer as we gather that you would hear his message to you through these words, through these imperfect vessels that we are. All right, so the uh, mixer question, back to that. Um, are you a dog person, a cat person, or other? I, I grew up uh, with a dog, uh, so I guess that makes me a dog person. And cats, I was allergic to them, and I still am a little bit. Um, and I didn't appreciate cats till later. We have a cat who lives outside near our house, and Really fun to watch, Maisie the cat, awesome little kitty. Um, but I bring this up because there's this guy I've been watching these videos uh, by Caesar Milan. Have you heard of him, the dog whisperer? If you have a dog and the dog is unruly and driving you crazy, watch some of these videos. He's a dog trainer, he's amazing, and he's really fun to watch. And uh, he's insightful. Like one of the things that he points out is that humans, especially in the U.S., we treat our dogs like humans, and our dogs are not rational creatures. They run on instinct, it turns out. They are very much in the moment and very sensitive to what's going on around them in that moment. They don't have perspective. They have a little bit of memory, but they, they can't think it through. They can't logically decide, oh, well, my owner's doing that because blah, blah, blah. No, they just feel you in the moment. Dogs run on instinct. And I'm, I, as I'm watching this, I'm like, you know, that's kind of cool because that's so much simpler if you're just running on instinct. You're just responding, you're reacting to things, right? You don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. They're not worried about tomorrow, et cetera. I'm like, hey, that could be all right. Then I'm like, yeah, maybe not. I mean, we actually do have it better, right? We can think about things. We can articulate things more clearly. Uh, I think we have a richer existence, so I don't stay there long. It is good to be human. It's good to be human. Uh, because we have many choices, right? We have the ability to choose, to imagine different options and to decide. We have a measure of freedom. We have some limits, of course, right? There's things we have to do. We have responsibilities. But we do have a lot of freedom and control and decisions to make over uh, like things like what we do, what kind of people we are, what kind of impact we have on others. And sometimes these decisions, you know, they're high stakes and they have consequences. Like, this is real. This is real life. And sometimes that can be a burden. And we want to choose well, right? We want to 
like exercise our will, our abilities, our, our faculties well. And it's difficult, though, because there's so many competing voices, right? Competing, conflicting messages uh, from the big questions to the little questions. Big questions like, where do we come from? What's wrong with the world? What's the remedy? You know, who's at fault? Uh, even, you know, what does it mean to be good? You know, this group says this, this group says this. Uh, what's the best way to live? Where am I going to find happiness, etc.? Big decisions to sort out. We got that autonomy to do that. Now, we can sort through those options, those voices and messages. Um, we need to. We have to. That's living. Uh, but how do we do that? What would be a good, what's a good means to measure those different options? What's our, what's our ruler? The other thing I uh, saw on YouTube, I was dabbling there the other day, is these, there's these sorting machines. You ever watch up videos like sorting machines? There's all sorts of sorting machines, like there's cherry sorting machines, and you have these big gobs of cherries go into this machine, and, and this machine just like sorts them through, throws out the bad ones, keeps the, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to watch. It's mesmerizing. There's Lego machines. You can throw in, just dump in a bunch of pieces. This is what we need at our house, like a Lego machine sorter, and spits out, you know, the cubes, the plates, etc. Um, we need that, right? Wouldn't that be great to have an awesome sorting machine? Like, okay, I got these decisions to make. Sorting machine, press the button. Uh, I need a good sorting machine. But it's not that easy, right? Now, if I say, hey, I am the sorter of ideas that come to my mind, and uh, absolutely, it, it comes down to me. I'm the sorter, but what's the problem with me as the sorter of all these different ideas, conflicting messages, and so forth? What's, what's my flaw? Selfish, yeah. My motives aren't always straight and best. But sometimes they're very short-term versus long-term. Um, I have limited, I, my knowledge base is limited. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know everything, and I don't know how exactly that's going to play out. Um, I don't know how it's going to impact others. Um, I can be moody, it uh, turns out. Um, I'm not a great sorter. I'm, you know, okay sorter, uh, but not a great sorter. And then, you know, you go to experts, and then you, you know, sometimes you're like, you lock on to an expert, you like what, how they're sorting things, like, hey, here's the way to go. Uh, but then you kind of find out about their life, and you're like, eh, it's not a great sorter. I mean, um, same problem. Humans, we're limited. We're finite. How are we going to make these big decisions? How can I sort well? How can we judge correctly? And is there even such a thing as correct, right? Like right now in our culture, it's, we're hearing these phrases like, your truth, my truth. Um, well, wait, what, what about truth, truth? Is there a transcendent objective source of truth beyond and above us that we can access? Wouldn't that be helpful? That would be a great sorter. You know, if God exists, he does. If God exists, he would be a great sorter, right? He could really give me insight and wisdom because he has a vantage point. He has expertise. He, he created the thing. He would be an excellent sorter. How do I access that? Let's put it as first fill, and this is the question we're wrestling with is, what do we need, what do we need, you need, I need, to choose well among all the options, all the diversity of options? 
you know, uh, out of, you know, this group's truth, my truth, your truth. What we need is like a higher authority, a transcendent authority, a voice, a, a true expert who knows the past, the present, the future, who's all-knowing, who knows me really well, who knows and cares about everyone else, people I love, people I'm not so fond about. That's the voice I need. What I need, if it's available, is God's word, God's word, his messages, his truth, his guidance, his wisdom, his insight, his answers to the big questions. Where do we come from? What's wrong with this place? What's the remedy? What's the best way to live? What are some things to avoid? We need God's word. Now, of course, I am making a huge assumption there that God exists. If you're wrestling with that question, keep at it, man. Uh, and you can look at a message from October 6th, this Reasons to Believe series. We looked at that question, Reasons to Believe God Exists. All right. But the message today is the reminder that, yes, this God who exists has, has spoken. That is such good news. I was an existentialist agnostic. Those are the labels I put on myself when I was 23. And I was sorting it out because I, I reached the limits of human philosophy, et cetera, where, you know, we, it's just subjective truth. You believe this, you decide that, I decide this. I didn't know there was a higher authority. I kind of hoped there was, but I, I didn't know that higher authority until that higher authority spoke. That's what we need. The message today is that God has spoken. All right, let's go with that. Let's go with that. God has spoken. How has he spoken? Well, we sang about it. It's such an awesome song. I love that song. Uh, look at Psalm 19. Listen to what's said there. The heavens, everything up there, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare it, the glory of God. The honor, the majesty, the greatness of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, if you're listening, they pour forth speech. Night after night, the stars, the moon, they reveal knowledge. All creation, nature is speaking. Are we listening? What's it to God is to be honored. Look at the majesty and greatness of God. This creation is great. Nature is amazing and intricate and powerful and beautiful. Wow, what must the creator be like? All right, so we get that. And then Romans, Romans takes that idea, brings it a little bit further. Romans 1 verse 18 says this, the wrath Okay, that should get our attention. The wrath of God, the anger of God. God's angry about something. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, the God realm, against something, against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, what's he mad about? Who suppress the truth, who suppress that voice, who suppress that revelation, who suppress that speech that is being poured out, who suppress the truth. Why would they do that? By their wickedness. The suppression of truth. God's angry about that. The truth about what? Verse 19. Since what may be known about God. Okay, something can be known about God. Is plain to them. To those who suppress the truth. Because God has made it plain to them. God has made it plain to all. 
For since the creation of the world from the beginning, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made all around us, so that people are without excuse. Isn't that wild? God holds us accountable to what he's revealed to us by creation, through his creation. It's obvious. It's obvious. Two things are obvious. God's eternal power and divine nature. God is powerful and God is. That should be obvious to us. And when it's not, it's because we're actively suppressing the truth about that. We don't want to know that. We don't want to deal with that God. We want to be our own gods. There's that tendency in us. And when we, when we lose sight of who God is, when we suppress the truth, we go, humanity goes into this downward spiral away from God. You can read about that in Romans 1, 18 through 32. But listen, back to this, this next fill-in. God has spoken. God has spoken. God has revealed himself. How? First one, number one, through nature. What we observe, see, feel, taste, touch. And the means through which we see, feel, taste, touch. Through all of this, God is speaking. God is revealing himself. I'm here. I'm, I exist. This didn't come from nothing. Come on. That doesn't happen. And I'm powerful. All right, so that revelation, that's a great start. It's an important starting point. But then there's not a lot of detail there as well, is there? I mean, that, that's, we've got to set ourselves on that. But is there more? Well, yeah. And there's different claims to God speaking. We're going to look at the Bible. Okay, so God has spoken through nature. Number two, God has spoken through the Bible, through Scripture. Now, what am I talking about when I say that? I'm talking about this collection of 66 books. This is the Bible. 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors containing God's word, God's messages, specific messages, more detailed messages to different people at different times and places and in different ways. You know, encounters, events, uh, directly through visions, etc., that's what you see when you look through scripture. And here's the claim, the repeated claim throughout these 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. Here's the claim, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture, all of it, all of it is God-breathed. God-breathed. Its origin is God. God is its capital A author. All scriptures God breathed and is, therefore, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's useful for sorting, sorting through all the competing options, the different messages that we hear in life, that we come against, messages within us, messages without us. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work so that we can live full, fulfilling lives. Scripture is the Bible, is, is the sorter that we need. Okay, now maybe you're asking, this is my next question, all scriptures God breathed, how did that work? How does this work? How did he do that? How did, how did 40 different authors written over 1,500 different years, how is this God's word, right? All right, well, as you go through scripture, 
You see these things. You see it's explained. Going back to Exodus, all right, this is about 1400 B.C. God says to Moses, says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. What do we hear there? Moses, God is setting Moses up as his spokesperson. God is giving Moses a message to speak out to others, to specific audiences, specific settings, specific situations. All right, and then we see this phrase again and again and again, thus says the Lord, through the prophets. God is doing this. A prophet just means a spokesperson, God's spokesperson. God gives messages to these prophets to, uh, to them to speak to others in specific settings and so forth. All right, listen to what King David said. King David, he's, he's also a prophet, and he said this. 2 Samuel 23.2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. You see that? So God's speaking through. This is what David experienced. Jesus affirms this. Matthew 22, 43 through 44, also in Mark, says that David spoke by the Spirit. Second uh, Peter 1, 21, prophecy, these, these messages that we have, never had its origin in the human will, okay? We didn't initiate it. God did. Never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Revelation 1, 10 through 11, the Apostle John writes this, I was in the Spirit. The Spirit was tangibly present with John. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Wow, that must have been powerful. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. That's how it works. That's how God has spoken through these different authors, different times, different places. Let's sum it up. Next fill-in. Authors wrote, the, those 40 authors wrote in their own languages, personalities, styles, and contexts, and were moved by God as they were moved by God. All right, that's, that's why we keep going to the Bible. That's why we're, the, we're people of the book. All right? That's a huge claim, right? That's a, that's a truth claim, okay? It, it's claiming that these words are authoritative because they are God-breathed. Now, hey, what are some reasons to believe this truth claim, right? Okay, it's a claim. Why believe it? Or why at least consider it? Maybe you're still like, you know, you haven't really dived into it. You're not convinced. What are some reasons to explore this book, which is this multifaceted book? All right, fill in number one. Here's a reason. Number one, diversity of witnesses. I mentioned this already. Again, 66 different books, 40 different authors, originally written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, many different styles of literature, history, law, songs, poetry, visions, apocalyptic letters, many different settings, Israel, Mesopotamia, Egypt, Asia Minor, Southern Europe, uh, while in slavery, in prison, captivity, or in the golden age of, the, of King David, during exile, and during the rapid expansion of God's kingdom from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. All these different things. Just diversity, man. So much is going on here. It's not one guy in a cave who says, hey, I heard from God, and you listen to me. No, it's not that. It's this vast, variegated 
amazing, manifold witness to God. Many different audiences, Jews, Romans, Greeks, Ethiopians, Egyptians, Persians, Assyrians, Babylonians, slaves, free persons, rich people, poor people, rulers. And as you read it, it's clear that these different people, different places, different times are talking about the same one God. They're hearing from the one God and they're speaking about and describing one thing. The same thing again and again. That's the second reason to believe that the Bible is God's word. There's a unified message. All that diversity, there's a unified message. It's logically consistent. It's connected. Now, if you first go into it and you start poking around, it's going to feel a little jumbled. It's going to be a little disorienting. As you go through it, as you come to understand it, as you have somebody who's been through it a little bit longer than you, uh, and you see good fruit in their life, and you are, you know, talking it out, you will see the connections. You will see the message. You will see the flow. And it is unified, again, because there's one author speaking to different people, and these different people are hearing this one God. We, it's unified in this way as well. We see promises spoken and then fulfilled later. Uh, sometimes short-term, sometimes long-term. Example, Abraham. God initiates relationship with Abraham, reveals himself, speaks to him, and says, you'll have a child. His wife and he are childless. They're kind of old. Uh, then 25 years later, it's a long wait, 25 years later, they have Isaac. Isaac is born. And then later, it's actually the same time he gives him that promise, he also says, you will have descendants as numerous as the sands on the seashore. You're like, wow. He's like, I just ha like want one kid. So he says, no, you're going to have just multitude of descendants. Today, sons and daughters of Abraham all over the worldwide, that includes you and me adopted into this, there are 2.4 billion who at least claim to be Christian. 2.4 billion, that's a lot. A lot of descendants. God promised to send a king, and then he sent his son as king. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. This diverse body of literature, the Bible, is unified. Is unified. All right, that's another reason. Next reason, number three, widely accepted. Widely accepted. People through the ages, at least from 1500 B.C. to today, all over the world, all over the world, different backgrounds, different experiences, different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, worshiping different gods or just saying there's nothing. People through the ages all over the world have recognized, here's the key, have recognized the voice of God speaking to them through these words. This is God's tool, God's chosen instrument. This is the way that God speaks to us. That's why people copied it, collected it, preserved it. Uh, it is by far the most printed, published, and translated book in the world. The full Bible today, Genesis to Revelation, is available in 704 different languages. New Testament is available in 1,500 different languages. Four out of five people can get it in their own language. And Bible translators are working to get it out to the others. Diversity, amazing diversity. Okay, widely accepted and early, like different groups, different kinds of people. 
recognize God speaking through it. What else? Well, number four, it's reliably preserved. Reliably preserved. For the New Testament compared with any other significant historical document, the copies we have are closer to the events, closer to the original date written. We have multiple copies. So if you have multiple copies and you see some discrepancies, you can compare them to the multiple copies and see, oh, okay, this is clearly what's going on here because this person left this person off, this person switched these words, et cetera, et cetera. You have these multiple copies. So we know that the copy we're looking at now with that wide range of copies examined is reliable, has been passed down. Now, how do we know that these books are the books that should be in there? Well, speaking of the New Testament, those 27 books, they all have a connection to an apostle, an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. And they were accepted by the early church, early church, and um, widely in different areas. So we have these early lists. Here are the lists that we consider authoritative in different churches. And you look at them, they line up, and it's interesting to see how those came together. If you have questions on this, once in a while you'll get a Newsweek article that you know, sounds exciting. Oh, we found a new gospel. And then you, you dig into it and you're like, no, that's not a new gospel. That's something claiming to be a gospel that's been added in. There are good reasons to believe this is reliably passed on to us. If you're wrestling with that, please speak to me. We have great resources for you to look at. Okay, New Testament. Old Testament is interesting. We have primarily three different sources. We have the, um, the Masoretic text, the Hebrew text that's been passed, 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 passed. But we only have a copy from 1000 AD. So that's pretty late, right? That's, that's far away from the events. Uh, and so that was, that was kind of uh, a little bit of a debate. Like, how do we know these are reliable? Well, then we have another copy, a Greek copy, called the Septuagint. And the oldest copy we have of that is from 300 A.D., so 700 years sooner. You compare those, they're good, they're solid, they're reliable. And then you're like, yeah, but still, uh, you know, how do we know for sure? And then 1947, uh, some kid's throwing rocks, <laughs> trying to get some goats out of the hills. He hits this clay thing, it makes a thwack. He goes up, he finds these things, and they have these old Hebrew scrolls in them. Dead Sea Scrolls, dating from 250 B.C. to about 70 B.C. So we look at those, we compare those. They're reliable. They're reliable. What we have is what we should have. All right, another reason. That's another reason to believe that we have God's word. Another one, number five. This is my favorite. It's life-transforming. It's life-transforming through the ages and different settings, different kinds of people have found God speaking to them through it, and it changes them. It's the beginning. It's a new beginning. It's the beginning of a new life with a path, with God present, with his wisdom that can be accessed. It's life transforming. And I'm going to invite a couple people up um, I sent out some emails just to ask, hey, how have you experienced like God speaking to you through scripture? So I'm going to first invite, uh, let's see, who's closer? Randy and Rosalind, why don't you come on down? Come on down! Randy and Rosalind, are you here today? 
Come on. Oh, yeah, there's Randy. Randy's going to go first. All right. Use that mic. Hi, everyone. Um, so you just mentioned that um, the Bible is life transforming, and that's what I want to talk about, so that was perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, so as a, uh, as a Christian, I want to be, you know, live a life that's pleasing to God. And um, I have some verses, uh, three short verses, that um, are not exhaustive about how to do that, but are part of the, part of the answer. Um, I guess I should have pulled that up already. <laughs> so just a second. Um, So the first is Hebrews 11, 6. Um, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, and then uh, Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, so that's faith is an action is what that means. And then Romans 10, 17. Uh, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Um, so uh, if I want to be pleasing to God, I need faith. And faith comes from hearing God's word. Um, so I used to think that uh, if I, uh, in order to increase my faith, I needed to hear like a new revelation. I needed something new. Kind of like if I wanted to get better at math, I needed to discover something new, right? Uh, otherwise, I'm just um, maintaining my abilities, right? Um, but I think it's more like working out, uh, where most of the benefit comes from just doing the basics. Um, and so uh, what I found in my own life is that uh, when I seek out new revelations and new understanding, yes, that's beneficial to me. But the greatest benefit in increasing my faith is just focusing on the simple things. And so, uh, if I found myself, uh, before I realized this, if I, if I was listening to a sermon uh, that felt like I was in a fifth grader Sunday school class, I thought, oh, that's not a good sermon. Um, because there was nothing in it for me, right? There was nothing new, nothing challenging, nothing that made me think. Uh, but in reality, if, if I was hearing the word of God, then that was actually increasing my faith and building me up. And so same thing, like if I hear a song, a worship song, and it doesn't hit me in a new way, that's okay. Um, it's actually good for me. Uh, and so um, if I'm reading a verse for the thousandth time and it feels like the millionth time, uh, that's actually really good <laughs> because I need to hear it and read that countless times and that's how my faith grows. Yeah. So. Thanks, Sam. All right, Rosalind. Hi. I might have to move this down a little bit there. <laughs> I'm a little bit short. Okay. Hi, I'm Rosalind. And I have two favorite verses that have really encouraged me recently, and I'm going to share them in just a minute. But first, I want to just say a little thing. So next week, next week will be a year since the shutdown and COVID hit us like a terrible storm that never leaves. And in this year, all of us collectively throughout the world, we have had to wait. We've had to wait for the numbers to go down. We've had to wait for a vaccine. Some of us are still waiting to get a vaccine. And for us, my husband, Tom, and I, he's sitting over there, 
we are small business owners and we own a store. So we had to wait to reopen. We had to wait for, we were still waiting for the economy to um, get better, wait for customers. And as parents of teenage sons, uh, one in high school, one in college, we've had to wait for school to reopen and wait for some sense of normalcy for our kids who need to be social as they grow and develop. We all need that. So I'm not a waiting kind of person. I wanna get things done, usually in my way, with me leading the way and leading the charge. And you can ask my family that. But the Lord has taught me in this year to wait and to have peace in the waiting. I've never experienced that before. He's taught me that it's his timing, not my timing, his way, not my way, and his timing and his way is always better than my way. So my two verses are John 14, <clears throat> 27. Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives to, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. And in Isaiah 40, 31, for they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And I, I mean, if I open this up, we would be here till 3 p.m. because God speaks through his word. He speaks to us. He draws close to us. He draws us close to himself through his word. He has wisdom for us. He has what we need as we spend time in his word. So there are good reasons to believe the Bible is God's word. I just gave you a few. Um, with that in mind, how should we approach God's word? How should we approach the Bible when we read? Is it just like a textbook? Is it like a novel? How do we approach it? Proverbs 3 lays it out for us. Number five, verse five, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord. Trust in him. Trust his voice. Trust his word. Trust. That's hard, especially when at first hearing we don't like it, right? Slow down. Trust in the Lord. You know he's good. All right, so trust in, hang in. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, you know, increasing amount of your heart, aiming for all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. That's hard as well, right? We think we know. We have some experience. Uh, God's saying, hey, put that aside for a bit. Trust in me. Lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways. In all of your ways, all areas of your life, even those, those sensitive ones. In all of your ways, submit to him. Come under him. Come under his word. And he will make your path straight. There's a promise there. He will lead you in the right way. It continues. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Anybody wise in your own eyes? I know. Ugh. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Give reverence to him. Remember whose voice this is. Fear the Lord and shun evil. The stuff he says is evil. Stay away from it. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Again, there's, there's a benefit. There's a blessing that comes from that. So how do we approach God's word? How do we get into it? How do we listen to it? Number one, ready to submit. That's a tricky word. Ready to submit 
to God's word. Trust the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Come under his word instead of standing above it, right? Like, which we should do with every other thing, but this is different because it's God's word. Stand above, instead of standing above it, come under it. Let God speak to you. Let God shape you. Let God inform you. Don't shut it down so quickly. And if you don't like something, wrestle with him in that. Linger with him in that. He's patient. He's loving. He's not just like, hey, take it, go. He's like, come to me. Let's work, work this out. Ready to submit to him because it's God's word. If it's not God's word, why bother? All right? If it's God's word, if you have a sense that it's God's word, come under it, and then it will bear fruit in your life. Number two, go to it regularly, right? I'm closest to the people that I hang out with the most, you know, and I let all sorts of different voices into my life, and once in a while I have to reset and be like, hey, I'm spending too much time listening to these voices. I need to get back in with God with his word. That's where the meat is. That's where God speaks regularly. Okay, go there. Number three, to hear from God, to hear from him, right? The Bible is not something to be studied just like, you know, as something abstract and apart from us. We draw into his word. We go there to hear from God. So we go prayerfully. Lord, speak to me through your text. Show me what you have for me today. Help me understand. It's a relational event. Go to him. Go to his word to hear from him. And when you do that, you're going to discover something. The more time you spend in God's word, you're going to discover something. It's pretty phenomenal. It's Hebrews 1. Let's look at that. It says this. In the past, in the past, this was written about 62 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, early church, uh, written by a Jewish author to Jewish Christians. Um, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, our ancestors, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Israel. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, etc., through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Remember we talked about that, the diversity of witnesses. All right? But in these last days, the last days, that's a phrase that began with Jesus' first coming. We're in the last days. It's this time between his first coming and his return. In these last days, he, God, has spoken to us. How? By his son. By his son. A new focal point uh, from Old Testament to New Testament. A new focal point. What God was doing before is now fulfilled in his king, in his son. He's spoken by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, inheritor of all things. God brings his new creation through Jesus, who is over and above this new creation. Whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. God made the universe through his word. Remember, he spoke, and it became, came into being. What did he speak? He spoke his word. And when Jesus came, the word, God's word, became flesh embodied in Jesus. The word spoken became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. That's verse 3. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. He shines God's glory. He shines. He reveals who God is. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. And listen, the exact 
representation of his being. To see Jesus is to see God embodied in the flesh. To hear Jesus' words is to hear the words of God. To hear him say, you are forgiven, is to hear God say, you are forgiven. To hear Jesus say and breathe his spirit on you is to receive the spirit of God in you. Again, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things, sustaining all things. Right now, as we speak, as we gather, as we breathe, sustaining all things right now by his powerful word. Jesus is actively sustaining all creation. That's big. That's powerful. That is our Lord and Savior. And then it finishes this with, after he, the Son of God, had provided purification for sins. He didn't just say, I loved you. He came, laid it down to forgive you for your sins. After he provides purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. And right now he's gathering people like you and me into his kingdom. That's what God is doing. That's his word. That's what he's spoken. So let's, let's um, take this word and receive it physically in communion. That purification of sins that God provided. We're going to celebrate that and remember that now. If you don't have communion supplies, you want to take it, just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. All right. On the night before Jesus went to the cross for us, leaning on the table together. Jesus took bread. He gave thanks for it. He broke it. He gave it to them saying, take and eat. This is my body. Take that together. Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup. He gave thanks. He gave it to them. Said, take and drink all of you this symbolizes the blood of my covenant my commitment to you the new covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins let's receive what jesus has done for us We praise you, God. We thank you, eternal word of God, for coming in the flesh so that we could know you. Thank you for revealing the way of life. Thank you for providing this purification for sins at great cost to you, great benefit to us. We thankfully receive what you have done, and we receive the word that you have spoken. You are forgiven.
because of what you've done for us, Jesus, we are forgiven. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Amen.